Amen to that. Um, you know, one of my prayers, as you know, uh, Pastor Mike and Pastor Daniel are gone today, so I was just praying, Lord, help us not mess it up today. And just, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> keep it going. But um, I'm so thankful for both of them and for this church and all that they have poured into my life and, and just how blessed we are to be here. Uh, today we'll be in Psalm 1, Psalm 1, so if you want to turn your devices there or your Bible to Psalm 1. Um, you know, I, uh, I like movies, and uh, one of my favorite actors is Tom Hanks. Uh, I think he does some pretty good movies with some good substance. And one movie I really like from him is Cast Away. I don't know if you've watched that movie, but uh, the premise of the movie is that Tom Hanks is a pilot who is delivering packages over all the world. And in this movie, he's delivering a package, but uh, he gets in an accident, something happens to the airplane, and he ends up stranded in a deserted island. Uh, there, he's there for over, over two or three years, if I, if I remember correctly. And, um, you know, the famous Wilson Ball and, and all that stuff. But the interesting part is that when he gets finally rescued from being lost, he becomes saved. He comes back to his wife has remarried. Uh, his house is gone. His career is gone. Even his name is wiped out because they thought he was deceased. So he comes back to nothing. And even having trouble reconnecting with society. And the interesting thing is that throughout being a deserted island, he hope. They're like a symbol of hope. And so back in this old life, he decides to follow this maybe new path. And so he drives across the country to take this package that gave him hope. And there, at the end of the movie, he finds himself at this crossroads where it's almost as a symbolic picture of saying, Here's a sign you can go back that road and go back to your old life of suffering, chaos, and of nothingness. Or you can go in this new road that leads to a new path. And I tell you that because I think that's a picture of what someone here is telling Israel and for us today. See, when you encounter God, God comes, isn't it true? And he says, your old life, it's all gone. And here stands this crossroads where in the middle, there's a sign that says the gospel. And if you receive the gospel, then walk in this path with me where you will live life for me and for my glory. Or reject the gospel and walk on this path that you will live life for yourself and for your glory. And then someone says they both lead to an ultimate destiny. The path of righteousness, which walks with God and for his glory, leads to a life of true happiness and fulfillment and ultimately salvation and glory with him in heaven for eternity. Whereas the path of unrighteousness, the path that says my life, I'll live in my way, leads to perishing, chaos, suffering, and ultimately to punishment for eternity. And that's what we see here in Psalm 1, that for every man and every woman that God created, there is a crossroads. That is, are you going to live the life of righteousness for him and his glory? Or are you going to live the life of unrighteousness for you and for your glory? And true happiness is found when we follow the path of righteousness. So follow with me here on Psalm 1. Psalm 1 says, your verse, some of your Bibles might say blessed, but it can also be translated as true happiness or truly happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. 
But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields his fruit in season, and his leaf prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like a shaft that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the day of judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for your son. Lord, we thank you for your church and for your word that is available to us. Lord, would you help us right now? Open our hearts. Help me to be faithful to your word. Lord, may the meditations of our hearts and the thoughts of our minds, may they be pleasing to you, Lord. So we can go in here into someone or help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today, a couple of things we want to do is, number one, <clears throat> I want to give you some context on the psalm. Because this is an important psalm. is the introduction to the psalms. So give you a little bit of context. And then there's a major stipulation before you enter into Psalm 1, which is the gospel. Then I want to give you the main idea of this passage. And then from there, I want to give you three principles that we derive from this passage that God gives us. And then lastly, I want to show you how this psalm points to an ultimate destiny for us and ultimately how it opens. Psalm 1, close my Bible so I have to open it again, sorry. Uh, someone says, we'll start off in, in, in verse number one. Blessed is a man, right, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. So the Psalms have over 100 Psalms in them. And what, what do you know about the Psalms? You know, Pastor Jay preached on this. They're deeply emotional, and they're, they're really kind of a picture of our life interacting uh, with all the brokenness of sin in the midst of our relationship with God and our faith, right? You, you hear Psalms of David when he goes on and he murders a man and he takes his wife and lies and does all these things. And yet he comes and says in Psalm 51, Lord, clean me, forgive me, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Then you have the other Psalms where the psalmist is saying, Lord, how long are you going to let these people plunder us? How long, Lord, before you bring justice upon these people? Then you have the songs of praise, right? The songs of praise. Oh, how, how good is the Lord? How great is he? Praise him, all the earth. So you have a lot of emotion in the Psalms. But the interesting part is that the first two Psalms, Psalm number one and Psalm number two, are a structure to introduce the whole Psalms. And you know what is the important theme in Psalm number one and Psalm number two? It's God's word, and in Psalm number two is the anointed Messiah. So what does this mean to us as we read the Psalms? Is that it's fundamentally grounded on God's truth and on his Son, who died for us. So no matter where you're going through in life, fundamentally, those emotions should be guided and grounded in the gospel through his word. Whether you're in prosperity or whether you're going through tough times and you relate to David or you relate to Ahab or you relate to any of those songs of praise, they should be deriving from the fundamentally and immovable word of God and his son. So that's important to recognize that. Now, another stipulation for this is this was a psalm that was given to Israel that is for us today. 
But why was it given to Israel? It was given to Israel so that they could come and worship the Lord. But what needs to happen before we worship the Lord? There needs to be a new heart. And that is true for us today. Israel understood that they could not worship God apart from a new heart that could actually worship him. They looked forward to the Messiah who was to come to fulfill their covenant and who was going to give them the new heart. And it was their faith in that Messiah that counted them as righteousness and allowed them to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit and by God to be able to worship God and to be able to give it and cry out with all the Psalms, the praise of the Lord. For us today, it is we look back to Jesus, the anointed Messiah, and we look at his work of his life, dead, burial, resurrection, and ascension so that the Holy Spirit will come down, that we will receive his message, be regenerated, and that we could truly come and worship the Lord. So that's the first stipulation of this psalm. If you're going to come to this psalm, first and foremost, you need to know the one who gave the psalm. You cannot delight as we're going to see in the word of the Lord unless you delight. If you know the Lord today, then for you this psalm should be an encouragement as you walk to please him. To be fulfilled in him. But if you do not know the Lord, then it's a plea and a call to you to come and know the Lord. See, we're going to talk about happiness and I want to define happiness for you next. Philosophers have been wrestling with what is happiness for many years. If I can sum up Aristotle and Socrates and all the Greek philosophers, I will summarize them in this. True happiness is being a good person. And then they spend their whole life trying to figure out, well, what does it mean to be a good person? Right? Unfortunately, today, they have taken that, repackaged it, and now they moved it to what is called postmodernism, where they say, well, true happiness is being a good person. But you know what it means to be a good person? Whatever that means to you. And so being a good person is, you know, I want to live a life of devouchery and sexual immorality because that's what makes me happy as long as I don't affect others around me. Hey, go for it. That's the purpose of life. That's where you find fulfillment and happiness. But that's not it. That's not what the Bible says. That is what we're going to see in Psalm, in verse 1 is the counsel of the wicked. I think Augustine said it best when he said, Oh, Lord, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. See, the reality is that a true fulfilled life can only be found through a life who lives with God through his word. That is the main idea of this passage. True fulfillment and happiness in your life, in your life is a life that lives with God through his word. And then the three principles that we're going to see here from verses 1 through 3 is, number one, a life that is truly fulfilled and happy that lives with God through his word is a life that lives not in sin. A life that lives not in sin. Number two is a life that lives not in sin but in his word. And number three is a life that lives in dependence of him. So look at here, verse number one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Right there, principle number one, a life that does not live in sin. Notice the verbs and the adjectives. The verb is what? To walk, to stand, and then to sit. Do you notice the progression? This is the progression of sin. It starts with what? Walking. You know, you begin to hear this counsel of the wicked. 
Now, the word there, wicked, doesn't mean that it's someone who's a mass murderer or someone who's in jail or someone who you say, well, I would never even think of doing those kind of things. No. It's talking about someone whose ideology, whose philosophy, whose thinking says, I'm going to live life my way and not God's way. So the wicked is us, your coworkers, your family, anybody on Facebook that says, live life your way and God will come along rather than live God's way. And then notice the progression is you begin to walk. That's a picture of well, you're listening. You're listening to this counsel. You're starting to wrestle with these things. And you begin to really kind of be persuaded to the point where you're walking over there to check it out. Now, when you're standing, now you're actually participating in the sin. So you begin by hearing. You say, oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check that out. And then you start going over there. Now you're standing with them. Now you're participating in the sin. But then here's the last progression. You actually sit down and make it your own. Now you're sitting in that sin. You have a habitual sin in your life. And not only are you sitting, but you are also mocking God's way against that which you are sitting on. That is the progression of sin that we see. So the first principle is don't live in a life that seeks to walk in sin, listen to sin, sit in sin, stand in sin. But you're always constantly wanting to walk in the path of the Lord, wanting to be in the path of the Lord and practice the path of the Lord. You know, um, the adjectives are here are, are very clear, wicked, sinner. So you go from just thinking up those ways to go against God to practicing it to propagating it. So my prayer for you or the question for us and for me is all of us are going to struggle. I know that all of us, if we are honest and looked at our hearts, are in one place in our lives where we're either walking towards that, might be even sitting in it, or just standing in it. So the prayer is, God, would you help me today that if I am listening to the counsel of the wicked, Lord, would you shut my ears off to that and open them to your word? Lord, if I am sitting in this sin and I'm struggling with it, would you give me victory this week to walk away from that and to walk into the way of the Lord? And if you're sitting there, brother and sister, then the grace of the Lord is new every morning. His mercies are new. My prayer, my question to you is, have you gathered people around you in the church to say, would you walk with me, pray for me, and help me to get out of this habitual sin that is so has entangled me in my life that I am so now embedded in? And I need the grace and the power of the Lord to help me get up from this seat every morning. Amen? If you don't know the Lord, then this is your life. You walk in the counsel of the wicked, you stand in it, and you sit in it every day. And the reality is that here it says that you will never find fulfillment or true happiness in your life, but rather just chaos, suffering, and ultimately destruction. And so my plea to you is, would you receive the Lord and his gospel today? And if you're here at this crossroads, walk in the path of righteousness Not because you are a person that we don't like or or that that we're trying to judge you. No, because that path that you're in is going to lead you to suffering, chaos, and destruction. And man, I want you to know the joy and the love of Christ as you walk with him and the peace that is to walk with him. 
I walked in the world for 26 years. I tried everything. I became a Buddhist. I read philosophy. Man, I tried everything to make my life a deeper and darker hole. It was not until I found the Lord and he said, I'll take your life as messy as it is and walk with me. And that night was the first night that I slept like a baby because I had the peace and the love and the grace of the Lord. And that has been the theme of my life ever since. So I plead with you, if you don't know the Lord, man, you want true happiness and fulfillment in your life? Goodness, receive Jesus Christ. He will not disappoint. Amen? So number one, do not live in sin. Principle number two, look at what it says in verse number two. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. So the Lord first tells us, you want to live a truly fulfilled life with me? Don't do these things. But instead, don't just stop there. Instead, do this. Delight and meditate on my word. The word there, delight, I love the Spanish translation, is delicious. It's like the word of the Lord is delicious. You know, it's, it's like the most precious thing to your life. You know, uh, I, I get some videos on YouTube, and I was watching a video from the persecuted church in Asia, and there's a documentary of these families who they're about to get arrested for getting together to read God's word. And they only have one Bible, and the pastor says, you know what? I know this book. He cuts the Bible in five pieces. And he hands each piece to one family. And you see this family run with this little piece of the Bible and to nourish it and to just treasure it like it's their life. Today, we have the word of God available to us at our fingertips. But do we think it's delicious? Do we delight in his word? Is it our life? You know, I want to propose to you that the reason we wake up every morning and we don't delight in his word is because we think that happiness comes from another place. We think that when we wake up in the morning, happiness comes from an orderly life that gets right on to solving the issues of life. Or it comes from waking up and exercising. Or it comes from waking up and being the first one at work. Or it comes from waking up and just having the day off and watching Netflix all day. But the reality is that those things bring only temporary joys. But here the Lord says that blessed, truly fulfilled, and truly happy is a man who delights in his word. If you will start with his word, that's where you will find true joy and happiness because it takes you to the one who brings you the joy. That's my plea for all of us today is this week would you wake up and know where true happiness and fulfillment comes from, and that's from his word. So go to that. See, uh, illustration I always use is me and my wife, uh, we have this date night. Uh, well, it's been a while, but we have to get back on it. But uh, <laughs> repenting here. But, uh, 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 you know, we, we had this date night. We used to go to this restaurant, and I always loved it because I always got this really good dish there. Well, she went out of town when we were... Uh, I was still, I didn't have Noah, and, and so I was hungry, and I was like, man, I'm going to, it's our date night this week, but she's not here, she's out of town. I'm going to go and have that dish by myself. So I went to the restaurant, sat down, got the dish. I think that it was prepared the best way I've ever had it. But you know what? It did not taste the same. It did not taste the same. And you know why it was that it did not taste the same? Because she wasn't there. 
And that is life with God. You can enjoy all of his creation, family, all the material things that he blesses us with, health. But without him, it doesn't taste the same. It's only with him that those things really bring that joy to our hearts. I can attest to it because I lived in it 26 years. Today, overflow my cup in a way that I can't even explain because of Christ's presence in my life. So do you delight in the law of the Lord, right? Is it delicious to you? So if you take anything, just, man, God's word is delicious. Yeah? The Lord said you cannot eat on bread alone, right? We got to eat the, you know, we got a spiritual feeding, and it's delicious. All right. And then he says that we are to meditate, that we are to meditate. Uh, this word is so confusing to us today because of Eastern religion, who defines meditation as emptying yourself out, right? That's the Dharma's teachings, that's Eastern religion, Hinduism, and it's very popular now, and a lot of the self-help books that I see in the stores is, you want to meditate? Empty yourself out. Well, get rid of all your suffering and all that mess inside you. Go sit under a tree, uh, get in a certain position, and begin to hum, and then all of a sudden, all these things will begin to empty you out at a certain time. That is really incorrect, because that doesn't take into account the depravity of sin ingrained into all of our being. Sin is so ingrained into us, and it is not something that we can overcome. It took the Son of God to die on a cross to overcome sin. What makes us think that we, by sitting down on a tree and meditating, we can overcome that sin within us? It's impossible. You know what the word means? God's word. Because God's word has a power to transform and to renew your mind. It does not come back void. It is sharper than a double-edged sword that pierces through bone, marrow, and soul. Testing the hearts of men. We need to fill ourselves with God's word. That's the word meditate here. You know, it's interesting. This word is used in Joshua when Joshua is about to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. What is the promised land? It's everything they've been looking for. It's, it's a land uh, flowing with milk and honey. A land of prosperity and comfort in their eyes. And you know what is the one warning that the Lord gives to the people of Israel? He says, you're about to enter this land, but Israel, don't forget the Lord your God. Isn't it true that when we're going into a time of prosperity and comfort, it's so easy for our hearts to forget the Lord our God. He says, do not let this word depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. You know how you want to always be reminded of the Lord your God? Stay in his word. And to me, the, the best picture is in Proverbs where he says, as a cow goes to the pasture, so you go to the word of God. So I want to suggest to you all that we should be cow or shovy or something. But what does the cow do when they shoe the grass? They have to shoo and shoo and shoo and shoo for hours before they can digest it. In the same way, you should go to God's word and shoo on God's word until you can fully digest it. That means that if you wake up in the morning and you read, my peace I give to you, not as the world, but as the world as I give to you, that you take that verse and when you're with your family and they begin to do stuff that irritates you, you shoo on that verse. What does it mean that I have the peace of Christ? Let me shoo on that. When you go to work and some 
a difficult situation arises, you begin to shoo on, I have the peace of Christ. What does that mean as I'm in my job? When you come home and you're tired and traffic is booming and there's people cutting you off, you say, I have the peace of Christ. When you come home and you get a call from the doctor that says, we need to talk to you. There's some stuff we're concerned about. You say, what does it mean that I have the peace of Christ? Not as the world or the doctor or, or Google gives it to me, but as Christ gives it to me. And so I'm shooing you on that. And Lord, would you help me digest and transform my heart by your word and not by what the world says? So let's be cows that shoe on God's word. Amen? Amen. So there you go. To delight and to meditate. You know, uh, on this point, I'll, I'll close this point with this. In Second Tim- in First Timothy, pretty sure that this is his last days on earth. Uh, he sends this letter to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, now you're in charge of this church, and you're going you're gonna to struggle, and there's going to be mess in ministry, and there's going to be false teachers and all sorts of trials. But hold on to this that I entrusted to you with the gospel and God's truth. And the word there is used again, but this one is translated as, and let it absorb you. Let the word of God absorb you, Timothy. In the midst of all these trials, you come to the word of God and let it absorb you. Because that is what's going to sustain you and guide you through all this. So let the word of God absorb you. Shoe on it and then let it absorb you. Moving on to principle number three. A life that is truly fulfilled and happy is a life that lives with God through his word and independence of him. Independence of him. Look at what it says here in verse three. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Right off the bat, he gives you the image of this tree, healthy, strong, fruitful, that is planted where? Right near the source. That is a picture of our life planted in Christ. John 4, if we read this canonically, if we read this within the whole Bible and the one author in mind, tells us that what? Jesus is the vine who gives life. So, The picture here for us is, do you live a life that's in complete and utter dependence on him every second of your life? Or are you a tree that is over here dead because you are not connected to the source? If you don't know Christ, then you're that kind of tree. And no matter what you do, no matter how good you dress it up, how much uh, decorations you put on it, how much you might build a huge house around it, it's still dead. But this tree... Is connected to the source of life. And it's alive because it depends on everything from Christ. He is the living water. So the first picture there is, do you depend on everything for Christ? The reality is that we have a lot of sin of omission. We don't even know daily how we neglect to be grateful and thankful for all that God does for us that we don't even see. But for that that we, we see, we should always be thankful and always pushing towards, I depend upon Christ and not on my own or on the world. Ultimately, it is Christ behind all the scenes who sustains all of my being and all of who I am. Right? I am what I am, says Paul, by the grace of God. 
Then you see here it says that it yields its fruit in season. Man, this is important. At least for me, this one hits home because I tend to be an impatient person. I want to bring fruit in my season. I want to do things when it's my time, not when God has ordained a season for it to be. Right? I've seen so many uh, friends and family and even myself when I am living in chaos in my life because I'm living outside of my season. You know, I when I first got married, I always use this illustration, so if you heard it, forgive me, hope it, it refreshes you still. But uh, when I was first married, uh, I wanted to do all this ministry and I wanted to be involved in all this stuff. And God said, well, Gus, uh, calm down. It's not your season yet. Your season is to go take care of your wife first and foremost. Your season is to be at home and build that relationship with your wife in that first year. It's okay. Uh, Those people are going to get saved. I got them. You know, you just come and you walk with me according to your, we'll yield fruit in your season, okay? And isn't it true of us that we want to walk in our own season, So the question for us today is, are you walking in the season that the Lord has for you today? Ecclesiastes says that there are seasons for many things, for going to war, for mourning, for healing. So are you walking in the season that God has for you today? And then look what it says, and its leaf does not wither. Man, leaf is a huge theme in the Old Testament. It's all over the prophets. It's even in Genesis. In Ezekiel, it says that, The Lord says, my trees are righteous trees whose leaves will not be dreadful, will not be full of fear when the times of calamity and drought come. The picture of a leaf is kind of the people of God. And he says that the people of God whose leaves are healthy and connected to him will be at peace and not anxious when the times of calamity and of drought come in their life. So when things come to your life, trials come, if you're connected to the source and you're abiding in his word, you will find strength, you will find comfort, and you will find peace in him. You know, me and Cheryl, we went through the whole tumor and cancer thing, and there was a lot of stuff going on with doctors and figuring all this stuff out. So many strong, the only thing that gave us peace, the only thing that kept us going was God's word and his church. I want to suggest to you that the word of God says that if you're going through something today, don't lean on anything else, but first go to God's word and his church. I can attest to that. Cheryl can attest to that. Then the second way that the leaves of God are used in the Old Testament, it says in uh, uh, Isaiah, it says that my leaves are going to be a healing balm to the nation. So when you are abiding in Christ, when you're connected, when you're that tree planted by the streams of water, you're going to yield fruit and you're going to be, your leaves are going to be healing to others. You're going to stretch out your arms. You're going to pray for your co-worker when he doesn't have the answer for his divorce. You're going to stretch out your arm and God's going to use you to pray for those who are going through sickness because you walked through that and you saw God's faithfulness in your life. And you can speak hope into their lives from God's truth that he is near the brokenhearted, and he doesn't forsake those who need him. So see what it is to walk with God. Not only is there a joy and a true fulfillment, but then that overflows into becoming 
a tool in the hand of the Lord. Then it says, in all he does or she does, he prospers. Another way to translate that is everything that they produce is good in God's eyes. This is not this is not a prosperity gospel verse. This is saying everything that they produce is good in God's eyes. Well, what is good in God's eyes? It's a character that images the character of Christ. When you are that tree planted by waters, when you're walking in the path of righteousness, you're going to be a person who is gentle, who is kind, who loves, who's self-controlled, who's peaceful, who seeks righteousness. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be perfect, but this is going to be your life. That's where you're going to strive towards. That's where you're going to delight in. That's where you're going to push towards. That's going to be the overall arching theme of your life. And God promised that the work he began, he will see to completion. And the Lord finishes what he starts. It might not be in your timing, but he will finish it. And he's moving you along. That's what we call progressive sanctification. So there you go. Principle number three. Number one is live not in sin. Number two is live in his word. Number three is live in dependence of him. Then I want to close with this final two points. The rest of the psalm, verses 4 through 6, are really going to tell us of both paths. That the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. First, the path of the unrighteous. Four things to notice about them in here in this last three verses. One, they're like shaft. Two, they will be sitting in the day of judgment. Three, they will not be part of the congregation of the righteous. And number four, their way of life is perishing. Now, what does it mean to be a shaft? Uh, again, I went to Spanish translation because I understand things a little bit better there. But that is like, you know, when you take a... You take a pistachio and then you pop it out. And then what do you do with, with the left remainder? You just throw it away. It's useless, right? You want, what you want is a pistachio. That is a picture of what an unrighteous person is. They're useless in God's eyes. And all that they're used for is to be thrown in the fire. It seems harsh. But to uh, people who lived in that context of agriculture, to them it made a lot of sense. To us today, it's kind of like, that's weird. But to people in their time, that made a lot of sense. It says, I don't want my life to be meaningless and useless and ultimately, ultimately just go throw it away in the fire. I want to be a pistachio, right? <laughs> and that's what the Lord's saying of the unrighteous. So I, I don't care how much titles, how much prestige, how much wealth how much good you've done for the community, if you have denied Christ, it is of no use for him and ultimately meaningless. And it will be thrown in the fire. But that which is done for Christ will last. Didn't, didn't Pastor Daniel preach on this last Sunday? If the workers, if God is not in it, the workers labor in vain, Right? 
Apart from me, you can do nothing, says the Lord. So, if you are here and you do not know the Lord, would you come and know his goodness and his grace? And know that one thing done with the Lord will go for eternity and will have way more value than a million things done without him. Come, he wants to use you. He wants to bring you to his family. And he wants to bless you with a truly fulfilled life. Because he's the God of love. And then look what it says. It says that they are also not sitting in the day of judgment. This is a picture of a courtroom. And the picture of the courtroom here is of those who are in the congregation of the righteous. And they're there with the judge who's righteous. Looking at those who are being judged. Because they have offended and stand guilty before the Holy of Holies. The reality is that if you rejected Christ, you have said no to him, you stiffed arm him all your life, when you get to heaven, God is not going to bend over your life, your hand to say, come into me. You will sit over there and you will sit in the seat of judgment. I know that sounds harsh to our society today, but I think it's harsher to not say the truth in love. And then it says that they will not be part of the congregation of the righteous. They will not be part of God's family. You know, today a lot of people want to do, live life their own way, but still have God part of their life. You know, hey, you know, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to be a good person and always lead to God. So yeah, I, I believe in God, but I'm going to live life my way. Well, the reality is that God says, no, you live life my way or else you're not part of my congregation. You can't have it both ways. A man cannot, he says, Jesus says, unless a man denies himself, picks up his cross and follows me daily, he cannot be my disciple. So you cannot leave life your way and have God as a supplement. It doesn't work that way. Biblically, it doesn't. You have to hand over your life, deny yourself, and it is not I but Christ who lives in me. That is what the Bible calls to be in the congregation of the righteous. And then lastly, it says that their way of life is perishing. Ultimately, your life is perishing. No matter how driven you are in life or how prosperous you look to be right now, if you don't have Christ in your life, you're just perishing. I mean, even us as Christians, it says that we're inwardly, we're dying, outwardly we're dying every day, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Well, the guy who does not or the woman who does not have Christ, they're outwardly they're dying and inwardly they're dying too every day. So my plea to you, if you don't know Christ, know him. Know him today. He wants to bring life to you. He wants to bring true joy, happiness, and fulfillment. He wants to restore the relationship that he intended to have with you from the moment of creation that was severe by sin. But his son has come and died. Self look at you and say, I am a sinner and I am guilty before God and I need his grace. Oh, what a wretched man I am. Lord Jesus Christ, I put all my faith in your death and resurrection. And then Jesus says, yes, you're my son. Now I take on your sin. You take on my righteousness. And I will be an advocate before the Father to say, look at him. He's no condemnation in him because I died for him. And come and be adopted. And we long for the fulfillment of that adoption in heaven. 
is the opposite for the righteous. It is, you live a fruitful life. You will stand in the day of judgment. You will be part of the congregation of the righteous. And your way of life will be known, guided, protected, comforted, and even disciplined by the Lord. The Lord will be with you. So I want to close with this. You know, to be honest, we look at this psalm, and I, I just see how I fall short every day. The reality is that no one, have you ever met a man who never walked in the counsel of the wicked, or who never stood in the path of sinners, or who never sat in the seat of scoffers? Or have you ever met a man whose delight was always the law of the Lord, and who on it he meditated day and night, and everything he did was in his season? And his lift never withered, and everything he did prosper. There was only one man. That is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And because he was the Psalms who believe in him, it's accredited to us. And therefore, we can even struggle through this life by the power of God and by his righteousness to be able even to stand in the congregation of the righteous, to be able to not, to not sit in the, con- in, in the day of judgment. And ultimately to be known by the Lord and to delight in his word. So as we walk today, know that it's only in Christ, through Christ, and for Christ that we can walk according to someone. So I close with that uh, prayer and I think the worship team can come up. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your someone and Lord, the reality of the life that you give us in Christ. Thank you that he was the man of someone who secured these this blessings and these promises for us, Lord. And Lord, we fail you daily and we fall short, but thank you that your grace and your mercy is new every morning and that you walk with us and you are seeing this work that you began to completion. Lord, I pray that all of us today and this week or we seek to walk in the path of righteousness and not in the path of the unrighteous. And that we do it all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.